Hi, today I want to talk to you about barriers to seeing God at work in your life. This is a lens cap. It's the lens cap to the camera through which this talk is being filmed. And if I put this lens cap on the camera, you would no longer see me. That might be a good thing. But there are things in our life that we do that become barriers to us seeing God at work. And when it comes to today's passage from Matthew chapter 5, there are some obvious barriers that stop us from seeing God at work. So we're going to look at the passage, we're going to understand a bit about what Jesus is saying, and we're going to look at our gut reactions to that passage. And hopefully that will help us to think about how we might react differently in the future so that we can see God at work. Because nobody really wants to live their life as a Christian with their lens cap on so that they can't see what God is doing. So the passage, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. These are the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So. Jesus takes an existing teaching and he raises the bar. He's done this again and again in this section of the sermon. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But Jesus says that we're to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. So he raises the bar on our behaviour, raises the bar of expectation for those who are gathered by and around him. But then he raises our eyes to see the situations that we're involved in from the perspective that God sees them. And we get this wonderful view from heaven of how God sends the rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous and how he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. So he's just drawing us out of the situations that we're involved in where we've got people causing frustration and there's persecution, raises the bar, raises our eyes to see the situation from the way that he does. And then finally, he reminds us the folly of our own thinking, that actually it's really easy for us to get into petty thinking and actually to be no different to anyone else, loving those who love us. How different is that to those that we dislike. Jesus is calling this people who are following him to live radically and differently in a way that will transform the world. So that's what Jesus is doing. It's really clear and it's really simple. Now there are some emotional reactions and what I want to acknowledge at this point is that um, Preaching to a camera is a slightly different scenario to preaching live. So preaching has lots of component parts to it. It has a proclamation 
Um, it has the, the need to convince people's minds and hearts. And, and there's an element in a live setting where it's conversation because you're watching how people are responding and you know where to push and, and where to hold back because you can see the people that you're in relationship with and how they are responding to what God is doing. Those are three key elements um, in the preaching that I've listened to and that I'm committed to sharing in proclamation, uh, the transformation of our, our hearts by the renewal of our minds and this sense of conversation. Although it's a slightly weird conversation because it's only one person speaking. But anyway, those elements. Now, one of the difficulties of preaching in this setting is that I've got my wife on the other end of the camera and nobody else. And so I have to imagine people as they are in our congregation and perhaps even beyond watching this and what's going on for them. So I'm operating slightly blind, but I'm also weighing it against Actually, what are the common themes that we see in people's everyday lives as they come to this scripture or as they are faced with the challenges that Jesus is raising? And um, I, I think one of the things that st stood out to me as I've been preparing is, is that we can do the kind of conversation, the reading of the room and the, and the different things that are going on for people. But what I want to help us to get to is is the heart and mind transformation, that we don't just say, yes, that's right, but actually at our, our heart level, we believe and we're committed to a response that involves following Jesus. That said, I think there are three common reactions to this teaching of Jesus at a heart level. Uh, and one of them is particularly common right now. And that, that first one is exhaustion. So um, you will have listened to, if you're exhausted, you'll listen to that teaching from Jesus and you will emotionally have gone, don't raise the bar <laughs> enough already. Like as if the last few weeks haven't been challenging enough. You're now asking me to love the people who are really, really annoying me. And that's putting it politely. You may even have your hand near the remote or near the pause button or near the off button to stop me from continuing speaking right now because you're just wrung out. And that is particularly common in this setting um, because lockdown and the pandemic has been emotionally, physically and psychologically exhausting for so many people. It's easy in that exhaustion to feel isolated even though it's happened for so many people and, and we can all develop a kind of Elijah uh, complex where we're like, it's only me that's like this. I'm, I'm exhausted. And, and that is understandable because that's what exhaustion and, and isolation do to us. But hating someone or even just ignoring them rather than loving them it is actually just another form of self-harm in that exhaustion. It's not going to make you feel better. It's just going to continue the damage that is being done to you. So that's, that's one reaction. Actually, Jesus, I'm too exhausted to engage with what you've got to say right now. I, I, can, I can turn the other cheek, um, but loving an enemy, that's just, that's just too much. I can't do that. 
so that's one, one emotional reaction that's a barrier to seeing God at work. The second um, emotional reaction that's a barrier to seeing God at work is pride. And pride says, in response to this passage, that's fine, Jesus, but I don't have any enemies. Now, it probably doesn't say it too loudly unless you're a narcissist. That attitude more commonly comes in a very subtle way. It, it comes amongst the people who are um, the social equivalent of Switzerland, where um, they, they genuinely don't seem to have any enemies because they're liked by lots of people. And so they are actually seen as peacekeepers. But all the while, quite subtly, underneath the surface, there's a sense that actually anyone who's a threat to that peace or who doesn't like them actually becomes quite subtly an enemy. And they won't be an enemy that's hated or done to, but actually there'll be a lack of love heading in that direction. And so it won't be that they're loving their friends and their neighbour and hating those who are their enemy. It'll be that they're loving their friends and, and just not loving others. And so it's just like a low-level lack of desire to participate in what Jesus is doing here. And it's an emotional barrier that needs to be named and dealt with. Are you in that category of the social Switzerland where actually pride says underneath the surface, I don't have any enemies. This passage doesn't apply to me. The third barrier to seeing God at work um, in response to this passage is, is an emotional reaction that says um, that's superhero stuff. That's superhero stuff. So you might be a Christian. You might have heard of people like uh, Desmond Tutu or um, Corrie ten Boom, the, the woman who forgave um, the Nazi concentration camp guard. Um, who had persecuted her family. You might have heard of other um, celebrity Christians. They would never have thought of themselves as celebrity Christians, but they've been used in sermons by people like me over the years to the extent that you go, actually, loving your enemy is something that they do. It's almost as if Christianity becomes the equivalent of a computer game where loving your enemy is for those who've got to level eight, but actually, I'm on level three. And, and underneath it, there's just this subtle insecurity that says that isn't for me. And because there's that emotional reaction, it means that when people present themselves as enemies or as people persecuting, you don't think to activate your faith in response to them by loving them. And it may not be that they're hostile as an enemy. It's just that they're not loving you as a neighbour. And because of your insecurity, you've created that barrier. And because of that, you don't get to see Jesus at work in your life in this way. So that's three emotional reactions. You may have listened to those three and think, oh, I'm all, all of those three, or I'm none of those three. It might be good just to, to pause and to examine or to talk with other Christians who are close to you and to think about how that might play itself out in you. I know at times I've been guilty of all three in my Christian life.
what we want to do is we want to set aside those barriers so that we can see Jesus at work. So let's look at him and what he did and what he said. Now, in Luke chapter 15, we have the extraordinarily beautiful story of the prodigal son, where the prodigal son returns home having squandered his half of the family fortune on wild living. And as he returns, the father runs towards him. Now, this is an extraordinary picture of the gospel and one which has enriched our understanding of God extraordinarily. But it is not the whole description of the gospel. The element that we need to counterbalance it with comes in Romans 5, where the picture that Paul paints is that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In essence, when we were heading in the opposite direction, Jesus came and rescued us. In that framework of understanding, we see that actually we, in our sin, are the enemies of God. And Jesus, in his death on the cross, in our place, loved his enemies to the last. So Jesus, in himself, the full revelation of the Father's love, is the one who loved you and me his enemies he said father forgive them for they know not what they do jesus is one who loves his enemies and this is who he is in his followers so it's not a case of whether i'm exhausted or I'm, uh, I don't have any enemies, or that's for somebody else. This is who Jesus is in his followers and who he wants to reveal himself through us to the rest of the world. Now, last week, a lovely lady in our congregation came up to me after my talk that was given live on Thursday at 12 o'clock, and she said, well, where does free will come into this? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And, and she said, well, actually, you know, do we not just need to decide to do this? And it was a really, really thoughtful and, and lovely question. And, and I admire her honesty and, and, and her willingness to travel towards what Jesus is calling us to do. I think what I wanted to say to her and would want to say to you is that we confess that we can't and we ask that God will. We confess that we can't and we ask that God will. So we say, God, I'm exhausted. Will you help me to love my enemies? God, I don't think that I have any enemies, but would you show those that I'm not loving to me that you might love them through me? And God, I don't know that I can do this, 
I think this is beyond me, but I know it's not beyond you. Will you be faithful to your word and love my enemies through me? We confess that we can't and we confess that he can.